on that note hey guys it's lavetta and it's miriam and this is the notorious women podcast a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women that's right hey i need that laugh thank you so much i'm here for you and happy holidays happy hanukkah thank you we're recording on the last night of hanukkah okay oh did you get anything other than socks i got i got nothing so hanukkah adults get zero zero did you give out socks i gave out socks and my kids it's so funny because they appreciate it as much as i appreciated it when i was a child but we also give they're getting their bigger gift tonight but it's Aww. not that big because we're about to celebrate Christmas. And I'm like, <laughs> little Jewish boys and girls who also celebrate Christmas don't get everything a Hanukkah. <laughs> and they're like, cousins got iPhones for Hanukkah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they don't celebrate Christmas. Also, you're not getting I, an oh, iPhone. Oh, gotcha, no. gotcha, uh-uh. gotcha. There's so got to be a joke in there about that on some TV show. Like somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it's probably already That's there. Funny. I probably just stole it. I have no idea. <laughs> you ever do that where you're like, I just came up with the most brilliant idea. And it's like been yeah. in the history books forever. Like, People actually, like, that's a that was very. In, <laughs> yeah. Common thing from 1975. Like yeah. it was in that movie. And you're like, oh, you oh, mean yeah. that joke from Moonstruck? Yeah, you didn't write that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, it's the holiday uh, season and we are, you know, most people are in a good mood. I think that's why people love this time of year because yeah. people tend to be in a good mood. Like there's cheer, there's cheerful decorations everywhere. There's sweets everywhere. There's mm-hmm. um, people are in a good mood. There's cheerful music. And I think that's why people are in a good mood, you know, so. Um, <laughs> so I ever tell you what happened to me at the doctor? So I got, I usually no. get my checkups like October-ish, my annuals, right? And mm-hmm. then something happened, life happened one year, it was about five years ago. And um, I didn't get in until like January, fine, mm-hmm. like January 23rd or whatever. And maybe, no, it was like early, it was like January 4th or something. And the doctor's looking at my chart and he's like, it's okay, because I'm like very weight neutral human, right? Mm-hmm. You gained like 12 pounds from last year. Did anything happen? And I'm like, you know, I'm also like, I am a human and that does not define me. And how dare <laughs> right. you? But also I have all these feelings because I grew up in the 80s, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, I'm fine. And then I come home and I tell my husband because I feel like, you know, like as women, when we gain weight, we feel guilty, which is yes, so stupid, yes. so stupid, so fucking stupid. So, I, yep. you know, like I'm admitting shit to a man who sees me literally every day in all kinds of ways. And he goes, I mean... It's January. When do you normally get these checkups? And I was like, yeah, October. He's like, so what happens between October and January? And I was like, you, you, you're right. Yeah. No, that's what happened. This is the kind of husband that you need or kind of partner, whatever your uh, sexual orientation or, you know, this kind of partner you need because you're right. Like, he's so right. Like, basically, <laughs> beginning in October, uh-huh. there's like a, a three-month period where you're gorging uh-huh. yourself yep. on sweets. First, <laughs> and all the candy. Stuff. Then it's like all the turkey, but really, it's all the stuffing, right? Let's yep, not even yep, talk yep. about those pies, okay? Yep, and yep, then, like, how yep. many mocha hot chocolates can I drink? Yep. A lot. Like, a lot. Yep. With whipped yep. cream and the chocolate yep. sprinkles, because I'm not yep. dead, right? Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I am celebrating. There are bright lights everywhere. Yep. Jingle bells. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So you're stuffing. So, it's a three month period of, of feasting, a, yeah. like yeah. nonstop, yeah. like, you know. So that is so true, because you wouldn't think of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, so, I was like, um, oh my God, what did I do? Did I do anything different? <laughs> no, I did nothing that different. That is so funny. <laughs> Well, I think let's get started. Um, okay. This week I am first and I actually did it. Um, it's not necessarily a theme, but I thought it might be fun to do something that's kind of related to, you know, December, the, you know, the holidays. Okay. I hope and we didn't so, pick the same person. Okay. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I hope not either. Um Let's find out. I thought, well, you know how I feel like I'm like, should I go with crime or should I go with, you know, because right. I love a murderess. Um, you do. But then I thought, let's try something different. So my notorious woman this week is Catherine <gasps> Dickens. 
Oh, no, no, but also a Catherine. Never mind. I just gave away oh. a little bit of mine. Catherine oh, okay. Dickens. Okay. okay. Charles right. Dickens' Phew. wife. I am so excited to learn about her. I didn't even know he was married. Okay, let's find out who really wrote all the books. Cool. (laughs) It's fascinating because I thought, you know, Dickens and I thought female authors and, you know, around wrote Christmas. And then, you know, Christmas Carol is like the thing that we all, you know, I watch all the versions. I love all the versions. versions. Muppets, my current favorite. But yes. Go yes, on. all of them. I just love, and I, I still get teary at on all of them. So, but yeah. Um, so, my main sources today come from a BBC article by Lucinda uh, Hawksley, uh, okay. a Bates Magazine article, and a YouTube channel called Brightside, among other uh, the uh, sources. But that's my main source. Uh, okay, these are my main sources today. So, um, Catherine Dickens was born uh, Catherine Kate, uh, uh, Catherine Thompson Hogarth. To George Hogarth, Hogarth. I'm sorry. I, don't I think know. Hogarth, because I am Catherine British. Dickens. But so are you. Okay. <laughs> I know. I'm, I have to do to, 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 to pronounce it right. I have to do Hugel. the Yes. <laughs> so Catherine was born. Catherine Kate is her uh, nickname. Thompson okay. Hogarth. Hogarth to George Hogarth, a lawyer turned journalist and later music critic, and Georgina. Hogarth. So she's born to George and a Georgina. Isn't that something? Oh my God, I uh, love that so much. <laughs> I know. And she was born on uh, May 19th, 1815 in Edinburgh, Scotland. So she's Scottish. Ooh, I love Scotland. Um, we love Scotland. We love the Scots. Yes. Now, when she was about nine, the family moved to England. So um, okay. they're UK based, but they moved from Scotland to England. Now, I couldn't find much on her mother, but that may be because apparently Georgina was busy having lots and lots of kids uh, because Catherine was the eldest of 10 children. Oh, ow. Like, no. Like, Mm -hmm. like how many UTIs do you just overcome without antibiotics? I don't understand. I mean, damn. I mean, yeah. So I have a theory that they didn't wear underwear the same way that we did. Anyways, go on. Yeah, it's yeah. Now keep that in mind. Remember that she's she's the eldest of ten children, so that's going to be important a little bit later. Now it seems that the family was they were like well off or at least uh, solidly middle class. So okay, she so she would uh, have had when she came of age many offers of marriage, many uh, prospects. As the eldest daughter of a well-off family, okay. um, and she literally came of age like out in society, eighteen at the beginning of the Victorian era. Ah, uh, so like okay. her coming out, becoming a young woman, coincided with the beginning of the Victorian era. So it's really interesting. Now, now in eighteen thirty-four, while her father was working as the editor of a newspaper. Um, she met a young man by the name of Charles Dickens, who Ooh, was a young journalist at the newspaper. He yes. Sounds familiar. Anyways. Yes. Now, the, <laughs> now, Catherine, by all accounts, was an attractive 19-year-old woman at the time, young woman. And again, she was from a, uh, a decent family, a good family, quote unquote. Um, so when Charles Dickens invited her to his 23rd birthday, party okay. uh, that year she and she accepted now she probably she had met him on a couple occasions obviously but nothing really clicked but it wasn't until she spent time with him at this birthday party that she was like oh he's actually you know pretty good you know he's all right so, was he cute so much so, i want to know um um you have to find pictures of Charles Dickens. he's I, I don't know if he's considered attractive I don't think he's considered like unattractive for that age and, you know, later okay. in life. Uh, he was a very uh, bit of a workaholic. But um, so a year after this birthday party, the two became engaged in 1835. Oh. OK. And were married the following year on April 2nd, 1836. So she would be 21. That was like a long okay. time between like engaged, between like, like hanging engagement and then marriage like in those days it's like you're pretty and then you're married you know like well again she had a lot of I bet she had a lot of prospects because she's very cute when you see her picture you're like oh yeah she's very cute and 
So I would imagine he has some competition. Um, um, also, he, as we, as it's well known, or maybe it's not for people who are not um, uh, Dickensian fans, he came from a, a poor background and his father was uh, famously uh, put into debtor's prison because this is when they put you in prison oh, yeah. for having debts. Listen, uh, so he, do you not want the Shonda Rhimes version of this courtship on your Netflix account right now? Because I do. I Right. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, obviously, Mom, Bridgerton is set in the okay. era before this. I know, but I know, but like, I still, you know, I. But okay. it's also interesting because he, because he came from a poor background, and it was, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. His father was in the home and not in the home. He also was attracted to the fact that Catherine came from quote unquote a good, stable home. Yeah, and yeah. so. She he basically married above his station also. And she was pretty. Um, and by all accounts, she was very charming, intelligent. So he really hit the jackpot with Catherine. Now, they set up a home in uh, Bloomsbury and went on to have 10 children. Damn. Over the next 15 years. I, ju- I don't know. Because what happens is that, you know, this this... It's messy down there, you know, and then you give birth and then you recover. Well, I mean, remember, Mm. Catherine comes from a family of 10 children. And so Charles also was was attracted to her because she came from a stable, happy home. And he really wanted that because he didn't have that as a child. Um, So this happened over the next 15 years, which reportedly also included two miscarriages. So she would have uh, 12 pregnancies. Over this uh, period, uh, 15 years. Now, during that period, um, in the beginning of their marriage, Charles was still a struggling writer. um, And he wrote that. But he was so happy in the earlier part of their uh, marriage. He wrote that even if he were to become rich and famous, he would never be as happy as he as he was in the small flat that he and Catherine shared in the beginning of their marriage. Oh, my God, that's so romantic. I really want to watch this miniseries. Go on. Yes. (laughs) Now, during this time, the early, like I said, the earliest part of their marriage, Catherine's uh, younger sister, Mary, uh, moved into the home to uh, help her with her uh, with the children when the, you know, the children started coming. But it was also kind of unusual for a sister to move into a newly married um, in with her newly married sister and her brother in law. Um, but they were a very close family. Catherine comes from a very close oh, family. Yeah. Um, and so a Reportedly, Charles became very attached to Mary. Um, so when she died in his arms after a brief illness the following year, he took it Whoa. really hard. Oh, so maybe she's crazy. like a little kiddo sister and like, um, you yeah. know, but he took it really hard, apparently. Um, and she ended up becoming a character in many of his books. Uh, and actually her death, her actual death is fictionalized as the death of little Nell the character in uh, the 1841 novel, The Old Curiosity Shop. I've so, never read it. That's so much. Oh. Um, yeah, I think that that was obviously one of his earlier ones. But yeah. um, now, and after, so in 1842, so they're in uh, five years into their marriage, another one of Catherine's younger sisters, Georgina, moved in um, when um, Charles and Catherine sailed to the United States. So Georgina moved in, uh, who's named obviously after her mother, yeah, to I look after the children. Uh, yeah, while the couple traveled, so you know, sisters helping her out, and she probably was like, "Oh, I can get out, and you know, and and while they're gone, and have a place to myself." Now, uh, again, still in the earlier part of his career, um, uh, his around this time is when his career started to bear some fruit. Okay. And Catherine, they were so happy. And, and Catherine was a very supportive wife. She traveled with him. And, and during this trip to America, you know, it's a long journey. Every yeah. All the reports of her that she was just lovely, like I said, charming, smart, just kind, all the things. She was also, uh, she performed in some of his productions. And she performed, uh, performed in a production of his play, Every Man and His Humor, um, where she had a minor role, where she fell through a trap door. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, she's also an actress. I love her. She's also an actress. So she, you know, there he met a creative match. Again, she's she's by all accounts above his 
like he married up basically yeah. in every way. Um, and at, okay, yeah. And at this time, he he you know he told other people that he thought that she was intelligent, charming, and quote his best half. End oh. quote. Now, Catherine also had creative endeavors uh, in addition to acting. Um, in 1851, she used the pen name of Lady Maria Clutterbuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> funny to me. Well, I love that name. Clutterbuck. Yes. Mrs. Clutterbuck. Clutterbuck. Is that you, darling? <laughs> <laughs> I will stop now so, because if I start, I won't stop. Go on. That is hila- a hilarious name. <laughs> Clutterbuck. I'd be clutter, but, you know, anyway, uh, because we're Americans and we're crass. And we're, uh, yeah, yeah, it's facts. Now, she, so under the pen name, she published a cookbook basically called What oh. Shall We Have for Dinner? Uh, what Shall We Have for Dinner? Satisfactorily answered by numerous bills of fare from the two to 18 persons. <laughs> like, that's so English. That's so British. Well, well, well. Um, it basically contains suggested menus uh, for meals varying in different complexities uh, and then one of a kind meals. It basically served as sort of like a guidebook for young wives. Um, I think we should also have a included... dinner party where we make things from that book. Oh, my God. That would... and can we dress up in right? Victorian? Yes, yeah. we have to, obviously. We're, we're dorks. We're um, next level dork. Yep. <laughs> Now, it also included household advice on household tasks and producing menus for up to 18 people. So basically, she was uh, the first Mrs. Beaton uh, a decade, a decade and a half before the actual Mrs. Beaton published the now iconic cookbook. So Mrs. Beaton is like a I guess she would be uh, English's uh, the English's uh, the UK's version of Julia Child. But she's much more of like a household uh, manager kind of thing. Um, so even more, it's, it's not just cooking. Mrs. Beaton is known as like a household manager kind of thing. Okay. Um, now this book apparently, so this predated the Mrs. Beaton uh, cookbook, but it went through, it was very popular. Catherine's book. Okay. It went through several editions until 1860. Um, so she, so that must have been very, very satisfying. You married to a writer and then you write your own thing in your own lane and, and yes. it's so successful. And she was only 36 uh, in 1851 when it was published. Um, but around this time, that same year, unfortunately, she also had a nervous breakdown after Oof. the death of one of her children, uh, yeah. eight, seven months. So, Ugh. so she's having uh, a time, um, but she. I bet you, like our def- their definition of nervous breakdown was like our definition of sad. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. reasonably I think, sad. I basically think that she went through postpartum. That's what I think. Yeah. Was ha- what was happening severely? Um, yeah. Um, Oof. And now, it's again. This is a very tragic thing. Um, it's 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 tragic, right? But you, yeah. But you. As bad as that is, it's, it's about to get worse for poor Catherine because oh, damn. No, her, like her once wonderful husband decided to, um, he took a note of that. He took note of how sad that she had the sads um, mm-hmm. and he started to grow resentful. Maybe perhaps he, he started growing resentful of her before that. Who knows? But he he began to criticize her sharply. Um, and for being increasingly incompetent, an incompetent mother and a housekeeper. Okay, Charles, that is not okay. Oh, no. He didn't even stop there. He also blamed her for the birth of their 10 children because he said it was causing him, that's what he would eventually do, it was causing him financial strain. Wow. Does he know what happens when his penis goes in her vagina or no? Like, maybe he doesn't. Because it's his penis going into her vagina. No, the woman needs to take the the penis and she also Uh needs to make sure that a baby only comes out and it needs to be a male heir when the man is ready. Right. Because she has control over all of it. Obviously. Yeah. 
That makes now, sense. It's, it's not just jerky behavior. The thing is, and he had legitimate concerns because, again, remember, he comes from a childhood uh, marred with financial insecurity. Right. His father was actually in debtor's prison. He's written about it. He's struggling because even though he's very successful, he wasn't making the kind of money, uh, at least during this time, that you think he should because of copyright infringement, particularly in America. Uh, okay. So he wasn't getting the royalties. We were literally mm. just ripping Charles Dickens off. The Amer- I wasn't probably my ancestors no. was not, but Americans were. Um, yeah, feels so right. he we weren't in America cons- yet, so we can't blame my people. Okay, thank yeah. you. And children are expensive, <laughs> even during the Victorian era. So he now reportedly he had hoped to have no more than um, uh, four children. Five at the most. Does he and know how basic biology works? No. I don't know because apparently he started blaming her because he said, you're just having all these children because you come from a big family. But it's like, no, that's also part of the reason that you were attracted to her, that she came from a big, mm-hmm. like, close-knit family. Right. Like... But again, I don't know. Mm. Like you said, does he not know how biology works? But mm-hmm. apparently after so apparently after the fifth child, I don't know what this what this was about. You know, marriages, every relationship is different. But like apparently after the fifth child, he yeah. decided that he had 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 enough. So he reportedly oh. put uh, ordered them to be separated and put a bookcase in between them in bed. Or maybe there were two beds at the time. I don't know. OK, what what Charles Charles Dickens there. Can you yeah. imagine? Mm-hmm. Do you hear what having, I did there? Yeah, because he's I heard a dick. You. I like making dick but jokes, just, clearly. Because <laughs> you are, we've already established you're a 10 year old boy yeah, inside. That's true. Um, because we, like you said, he's a smart, intelligent man. Does he not know if you keep screwing your wife, you're going to have children? I, I don't, don't understand. Know. He's one of the greatest brains of a generation. Huh. He's acting yeah. like she's raping him. It right? seems like, like it's like, dude. I'm sure your wife, even then, like. But imagine going through this, starting out in such a great place. You're a young, attractive couple, yeah. and there's some success, and then you're you're being fruitful. You're bearing and being fruitful, and um, and your husband starts to resent you while you're also going through postpartum, probably after every child, and certainly and after the it- miscarriages. Because a woman is there to lighten the mood, to bring that creative spark. And when you have a, a person and not just that creative spark, you're very disappointed. Mm, yes. I don't know. It's right. But it's it's, you know, the, this I think this is a very common thing in relationships like men. I heard somebody once say that men fall in love hoping that the woman will never change. And women fall often fall in love hoping that the man does change. You know, I don't know yeah, how true that that is, but but like she's not going to be the same woman at twenty one with no children, no responsibility that she is at thirty seven with children and responsibility. Like she's not going to be light and like uh, you know charming and like just talking. You know, not a real woman like a flighty woman might be. And then you resent her for being flighty. So it's just like. Right. But I just don't understand like where this like he he, it starts like it sounds like he started to resent her for uh, the thing for being the exact same thing for the the exact thing that made him fall in love with her to begin with. So she couldn't win because. Yeah. So now there's a bookcase between them. So there's a bookcase between them, and but he went a step further. He reportedly tried to have her falsely diagnosed as mentally ill in order to commit her to an asylum. Okay, so now I want to throw him off a cliff, and I feel really weird about that because I do like his books. <sighs> yeah, this is going to be a hard one because I'm a big Dickens fan, too. Yeah, like, it hurts. Yeah, so yeah. Um, now you you say like... What what's going on? What's going on? Like mm-hmm. what's going on, right? You yeah, you think some yeah. of this foolishness, like this is just foolishness, and you think mm, there must be another woman somewhere. Well, yes, that's you what would I think. Be right? You yeah. would be right because yeah, and right. apparently, eighteen fifty eight, 
Catherine reportedly accidentally received a bracelet meant for Charles's mistress, a woman by the name oh. of Ellen Turnin, who was eight was an eighteen year old actress. Of course, she was. Now, oh my you know god, how I like a murderess. You know, you know mm-hmm. how I like a murderess. I do. Yeah, this and is I'm where Catherine. Huh? This is what Catherine should have got out of her machete. Right. Uh, and start lopping off like appendages. You know, I'm just. Just like just like a finger here and a toe there. You know, we don't have to murder him. He's very bright. But, you know. So because now she's in her 40s. And oh, God. Well, that's terrible. How to, dare she? <laughs> how dare she grow older every year that she's on the earth? Um, Ridiculous. It's one thing to have a mistress. But it's a whole nother thing for and now again, remember, he's four years older than he's older than Catherine. For your husband in his what late forties to be reportedly, allegedly, hooking up mm. with an eighteen year old, because at this point he's wildly successful. There's plays, so he met her during one of the uh, productions of his plays. There's ah, books. Yes. Um he is wildly successful and you know, now he's burdened with this burdensome wife who is sad because she lost two kids and tired because she has 10 kids. Uh, his kids. Oh, um, how dare she? You know, but also it's even worse than that, because instead of making excuses like, baby, it wasn't me. Like, this is a mistake. He's, he tried to gaslight Catherine. Oh, oh and, that's fun. Yeah. So Catherine filed for separation. Yes, girl. Um, so she was like, I'm out of here, motherfucker. Like, I've given you the best years of my life. And yeah. we all know that uh, you married up. Let's not forget that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now you don't mm-hmm. got your little books you're selling and you think you're the man. But you know what? You older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. you think that little 18 year old girl love you for you? Okay. Uh, of course, she's light and fluffy and, and fantastic and entertaining yeah. because she does not have 10 fucking children and she's not no. in her 40s in nope. 1858. So Jesus Christ. Now, Catherine files for divorce because she's like, we're not doing this. Um, and when she filed for divorce, she actually moved out. And so the rumors of this yeah. affair started circulating and again this is the victorian age so propriety is very very important especially with somebody so public like him yes um and so rumors start swirling about the affair with ellen but also that he had many other affairs in addition to uh, allegedly with ellen but also possibly with her sister georgina (gasps) you know what he's a piece of shit i'll say it someone's got to now, Charles is like, wouldn't me? I ain't do none of this. Y'all tripping, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> verbatim, not, yes. Not, not. That's exactly what he said. Mm-hmm, I ain't do I none know. of this. Y'all tripping. Uh, I've been framed. <laughs> but his boy, William Makepeace Thackeray, oh, yeah. was like, nah, it ain't only Ellen. Not, it ain't no, it, it's, and it's not his sister. No, he said it was only Ellen. So, William was like, no, no, no I got this, bro. He why he would never have an affair with Georgina. Now that Ellen chick, yeah, that that, that that's it. That's oh, him. Yeah. That's him. That's him. That's his side piece. That's his side piece. And Charles, what he found out was like, say less, motherfucker. Why are you out here putting me on blast? <laughs> we Stop need snitching. You know what? We need more men to stand up. Thank you, William Makepeace Thackeray. Like, no, I, I think William was like probably from a well-off family, so he wasn't like. He know how to read the room, and he's a man in, in Victorian England. Well, he probably England. was like, "Yes, what's wrong with that?" Of course, yeah, what's wrong just with one that? No. side piece, no big deal. Yes, let me put the record straight. It's just one, <laughs> not his wife. He thought he was defending him, like, "I got you, boy." And he's like, "Motherfucker, why you put me on blast?" So Charles was livid and ended their relationship yes. because of the snitching. Mm-hmm. Um. So now, after the separation. Um, Catherine moved to a property, uh, a Gloucester Crescent in Camden Town uh, with Charles Jr. While Charles, along with her sister, Georgina, stayed at the house. Okay. So it does sound suspicious yeah, as fuck. Yeah, okay. they definitely had sex. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's Allegedly, some, there's definitely had sex. Allegedly. Okay. Well, there's that, but also in Victorian times, wives had no right 
That's true. So most of the children legally had to stay with their father. This is why voting matters, people. This is why yeah. this is why voting for people who believe women should have equal rights is an yeah. important thing. So, but also in Victorian time, the the idea of the scandal would be he would be canceled, basically, like really canceled because it was it was known that men would step out on their wives. But you can't be flaunting your piece around and you can't make it. Mm -mm. You got to be more discreet, basically. Yep. You got to fake it. Okay. So, again, Charles Jr., his namesake, uh, was like, I'm going to go with my mama, you know, because apparently That's, he's also he's of a good age. Boy. So he's like, I'm going to be with my mother. And uh, but the other children, but along with her sister, stayed Ugh. with Charles. I don't know. Is it because she stayed for the money or like, is she like, you need to suck it up? This is what wives go through. Like, that's just fascinating to me that she I stayed. Know. That's weird. At the home. Or if it's just like, well, I'm going to stay here and look after the children. Maybe she felt that the kids needed looking after and uh, she was helping her sister. But I have no idea. Yeah. I absolutely I, think yeah, they and had even, sex. And, and well, in my research, I wasn't able to find it. I'm not sure they did have sex. I actually think okay. I'm going to push back on that a little bit just for what comes later. But Oh, okay. um, yeah. So now he again to be labeled an adulterer at this time was just not in his best interest. So I'm sure he had a lot of pressure. You know, nowadays famous people have like teams of people. He had yeah. the Victorian equivalent of teams and they're like, you need to fix this motherfucker. So but he also was like, I'm innocent. That girl <laughs> just is, you know, she's just mm -hmm. an actress. Like, so he he used his strengths. He's a writer. He's, uh, you know, so he published an article in his journal called Household Words, denying the rumors about the separation while neither articulating them nor clarifying the situation. Basically, okay. nothing to see here. So um, now when he did, uh, when he did, he had, he, when he declared that he had been only, um, uh, that he had only had Georgina stay at the house to keep the family together. And also he said publicly that basically Georgina had become the real mother of the children because Catherine was incompetent. <sighs> what a piece of shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But honestly, as famous and as beloved as his, his works were, the public was like, mm, you sure about that player? That sounds suspicious as fuck. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that looks right. Yeah. Now, because of this, in the optics of having your wife's sister staying in your house, <laughs> he <laughs> he and and it didn't that article that article that he he uh, wrote for Household Words his journal it didn't clear things up. People are like, yeah, sure. People are like, that's basically like, like, okay, all right, sure, sure, I mean, right. That's like like the right. that's like vague booking now. You know, that's just like yeah. everything's fine. Well, he he basically, but he didn't stop there. He was like, well, I want it published in every, because again, we don't have the internet. So it's all about newspapers. Right. And so right. he was like going around and getting other people to publish a version of what he had published in Household Words. And he That's even approached his publishers, Bradbury and Evans. They refused to publish it uh, in Punch. Because they were like, this is a humorous periodical and my name is Bennett and we ain't in it. Okay. Like, <laughs> like. Basically, they were like, don't be bringing that over here. Okay. And he was furious. So he actually cut ties with them. Okay, bye. Um, and but because he's a man, Victorian era, and he's very rich and he's the famous one, even even though, again, he had married up in his eyes. Yeah. But he the tables, the 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 power dynamics had shifted within their relationship. Eventually, because he kept saying what he was saying, it it worked. Uh, he was, you know, he was the highly regarded uh, writer and he was the public figure. So eventually it worked. Uh, now, according to Lillian Nadar, an English professor and author of Catherine's biography, The Other Dickens, A Life of Catherine Hogar Hogarth, Charles uh, Hogarth, Charles, Charles Dickens, sh she writes in her book, The Other Dickens, quote, Charles Dickens has shaped the language of her story. And he told mm. a lot of lies about her, end quote. For a long time. The the narrative that she was hysterical, she was, uh, uh, um, you know, albatross of a wife, a nagging wife, jealous and da da da, da was believed by historians um, because mm. um, 
now we know the truth because we actually are trying to get at the truth. It's not revisionist history. It's not lies. This is this is actually the truth. Many historians yeah. now believe that by wielding the power of his pen, he alleged that Catherine was mentally unbalanced and an unfit wife and mother only because he wanted to take up with a younger woman. And it's a tale as old as time. He traded her in for a newer model, basically. But he couldn't really do that, like, outright in this time. So he had to be slick about it. Right. You know, and that's why. And back then. Manipulative and gaslighting and all that shit. Right. Yeah. But that's why he was trying to get her committed. It is insane. So he can uh, divorce her and marry someone else. Like, he wrote Scrooge. Like, he created that character. But it turns out. Okay. Mm. Like. A little self-reflection and wrote it down, you know. Yeah. Now, for those of us who, for those listeners who might be younger, just, I just want to put things in in perspective and and, in context. He was the most famous writer of his time during this time. He had already written Oliver Twist and A Christmas Carol. So he was massively successful. So Do you know what he needed? Imagine... What did he need? He needed three ghosts to visit him <laughs> over the course of a night. Okay. Went from the past wherein he met his wife and he loved her so. Mm-hmm. And then see what her life is like now. And then the future, right? Where he'll die of fiery death. He doesn't stop fucking it up. No, you know? the future to see where uh, uh, his young hot thing becomes the same shrew of a wife yes. <laughs> because she's gotten older. Okay. <laughs> or she, she's or she's a shrew of a wife and she wants to get rid of him for a younger man. Right. Like, you Why know, because they take his money. So, uh, yeah. Now, after this, so this separation, um, poor Catherine, I can only imagine how heartbroken she was. Like, this is devastating. Yeah. Like the man you loved is now turned into this horrible, like, you know, he's probably verbally abusive. Like, oh, and sure. then he has all the money and all the power and he probably took all the friends, you know, all the friends so followed she, him. She has one um, kid so with her, right? She has one kid with her at this point. Right. Now, after this, he would go on to publish A Tale of Two Cities and Great Expectations. Yeah, those are good. Um yeah, so his rewriting of the separation and the couple's marriage would shape how Catherine would be seen up until her death in 1879 Ugh. and in the following decades. She was all after that he he was successful in painting her this way. She was often ridiculed for being fat, um, as well as a bunch of other misogynistic accusations that most women were subjected to in their lives. Yeah, I'm fat because I, I popped out 12 children. Listen, or at least 10. You want what? Look in a mirror, you motherfucker. You want to go there? Like, seriously? Yeah. Okay. So ultimately, at it least became I created that, literal life. Okay. Literal life. So ultimately, it became that he had to separate from her because she was an alcoholic. She was not. Oh, like, she was God. so unpleasant and a shrew of a wife. And this followed her basically into her death in 1879. Now, yes. Yeah. Charles had little. Um, so after the separation, they had little correspondences. So it's basically like she moved out and they never like saw each other again. Um, but on her deathbed in 1879, she gave a collection of letters she had received from Charles when, you know, during their relationship to her daughter, Kate, telling her to, quote, give these to the British Museum that the world may know Charles loved me once. And, you know, oh. and to correct the historical record. So, you know, because there's still love there, even though this man turns into a monster, like because you're remembering how he was in the early days. And, you know, but I mean, she did get the last laugh because she actually outlived him. (laughs) So he she died. uh, So Catherine Dickens died on November 22nd, 1879 at the age of 64. But she outlived him by nine years. He died in 1870. I didn't even get into the particulars of him because this is about Catherine Dickens. I don't care about him. Um, And she was buried in Highgate Cemetery in London um, with her infant daughter, Dora, who had died in, uh, in 1851, age seven months. Now, it's worth noting that even after the separation, Charles denied the affair with Ellen, the young woman, but the two would be seen traveling together in the decades after the separation. And on his deathbed, he actually settled an annuity on Ellen Turnin, which made her financially independent. Um, and in and also in his will, 
he left an inheritance to Georgina, his wife's sister, who wow. he called, quote, his uh, who he called his, quote, best and truest friend who he left about a million dollars by in, in today's money, about a million dollars to. Jesus. I mean, wow. It's I, just... I mean, it is. Now, a little uh, a little bit. There is a little justice. So let me just wrap this up really quickly. Now, after her death, Catherine Dickens was the subject of a uh, since her death. I mean, the subject of a 60 minute BBC two documentary called Mrs. Dickens Family Christmas. It was a broadcast on uh, December 30th, 2011, and it was performed and presented by Sue Perkins. And it looked at the marriage of their uh, the marriage of Charles and Catherine Dickens through Catherine's eyes. Um. Also in 1976, there was a series called Dickens of London, where uh, Catherine Dickens was portrayed by Adrian Burgess. Um, and then a film in 2013 called The Invisible Woman. She was portrayed by an actress called Joanna, uh, by Joanna Scanlon. And in 2017, in the film The Man Who Invented Christmas, she was portrayed by uh, Morphid Clark. But this is the sweet, sweet, sweet thing. This is why... Uh, following history is important. In 2022, so just last year, there was an yeah. exhibition called The Other Dickens uh, at the London's Dick at London's Dickens Museum, Charles Dickens Museum, and it basically has restored Catherine. And this is why we know all of this now. It has restored oh. her uh, reputation, and it was Excellent. done by their yeah. great 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 granddaughter. Good. Yes. So it's done by Catherine and Charles's great, great, great granddaughter, her third great granddaughter. And and she has her own conclusions because she has family records. She's gone through the right. you know, letters and all this other stuff. So she has her own conclusions about what happened. Um, and so in a, t- a 2022 BBC article, she wrote, quote, while writing my biography of their art, while writing a, b- a biography of their artist daughter, Katie, so she was writing about her other family. So just her great, great okay. grandmother. Right. I came to believe that the couple's marriage ended for understanding uh, for understandable reasons. It was put under unexpected and tolerable pressure by the rapidity of Charles Dickens ascent to his previously yeah. unthought of levels of, of celebrity. When the couple met, Charles put Catherine on a pedestal. His childhood was scarred by poverty and the shadow of debtor's prison. In contrast, Catherine came from a comfortable, happy middle class family. I believe Dickens, Charles, wanted to emulate that. He wanted a wife and a mother who would give his children stability and a carefree home. Catherine became his ideal woman. At the start of their marriage, Catherine was her, her husband's social and financial superior. But within a very short time, he had gone from being a journalist working for her father to a man so famous that his work were read by Queen Victoria. Same. As the wife of such a star, Catherine began to be overlooked. Meanwhile, she was uh, as happy. She was just as happy as her husband's uh, uh, in the beginning of for his success in the beginning. But after multiple pregnancies, um, some of which she barely recovered before getting pregnant again, they yeah. began to take their toll on her health, her energy, mm-hmm. and her marriage, end quote. Um, now, she also goes on to say that, quote, for more than a century, Catherine has become marginalized and misremembered as a dull, frumpy wife. But the real story of Catherine is that of a fun-loving young woman who, as the wife of an international celebrity, traveled widely and had the opportunity to see and experience things that most women of her era and social status did not, end quote. Basically, and this is to, to all just sum it all up, basically, he he started to smell his own hype. And yeah. as she yeah. had these children, instead of being like, oh, my God, uh, ha- empathizing with her plight. And again, they didn't understand postpartum depression back then. She was also burdened with the adult responsibilities of running an ever increasing bigger household, as well as like her her husband acting brand new on her, basically. And thinking he, has, he should have access to step out on her. And then basically Mm-mm. it's like, why are you so why are you so fat? Why are you so sad? Why are you so da da da? It's like because I've had 10 children and two miscarriages. I want to punch you know? him in the like, face. That's what I want to do. Because so like, he basically just wanted to get rid of that. You know, the ball, he wanted to get rid of the old ball and chain, you know, yep. and I say, get the fuck out of here, Charles Dickens, get the fuck out of here. So, Charles, that Dick is Catherine Inns. Dickens. 
Charles Dickens. That, That's Catherine that is Dickens. That is fascinating. Thank you for her. Yeah. Yes. We're it's fascinating it because you don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm a, like many people, I'm a big Dickens fan, but yeah. The fact that he but that's also that battle that we're having in the modern world. Like, how do you separate yeah. the artist from the art? I mean, you know, I don't you just there's so I much feel like empathy in Oliver just Twist. Be honest and, with yeah. your like that was good and necessary. Charles Dickens changed the game like yeah, Charles Dickens yeah, called yeah. it out and they changed laws. Right. Yeah. So like that's necessary and I'm grateful for that. But I also think he's a dick in <laughs> going to make that joke all day. Oh, God, dick. Uh-huh. Maybe mm-hmm. that should be the title of the episode. What Maybe. What in the dick ends? Ends. Oh, that's good. Ends. I like it. It was good. Yeah. Maybe we should keep it. Yeah. Um. All right. You ready for more yes, Christmas I'm fun? Yes. Who's your notorious woman this week? So you were thinking like Dickens and Christmas Carol and all that. And I was thinking like, who's Mrs. Claus? That's where I went. Like, you know how there's like this idea where you're like, yeah. And so, so I found her. So, well, it turns out because, um, you know, of the magic of Christmas, she didn't write much down. So it's hard mm. for me to find the actual Mrs. Claus, you understand. So as close as gotcha. I could get was a woman named Catherine Lee Bates. That's why when you said Catherine, I panicked. Um, okay. <laughs> so Catherine um, was born in Falmouth, Massachusetts, August 12th, 1859. So it's funny going down this rabbit hole looking for Mrs. Claus. I found this most amazing human. So her father was William Bates and her mother was Cornelia Frances Lee. So her father died a few weeks after she was born and she was mostly raised by her mom and an aunt, um, both of whom um, had were were educated, had graduated from an all women's college and believed that women should learn things. And, you know, very strange that in the 1850s. I know it's. So she grew up and went to Wellesley, uh, graduated in 1880, uh, and she became a high school teacher between 1880 and 1885. So 1889, she wrote a young adult novel called Rose and Thorn. She won a prize awarded by the Congregational Sunday School and Publishing Society. So what she did, it's kind of, we're, we're on similar pages here today. Um, It incorporated poor and working class women as characters to teach readers about social reform. Right? Oh, I love this. So she also wrote a poem. And this is the only connection to Mrs. Claus, but I'm just connecting it anyways because I want to. Her poem, quote, it it was called Goody Santa Claus on a Sleigh Ride Um, Mm -hmm. from a collection called uh, Sunshine and Other Verses for Children. This was also in 1889. So the Mrs. Claus character was the chief organizer of Christmas Eve. So in her Santa Claus theories, Mrs. Claus ran it all. Mrs. Claus was like CEO. And she was like, honey, honey, go deliver these presents immediately. And he's like, what? Okay, get the reindeer. Get the Rudolph's in front. Okay, Rudolph's in front. Did you get did you get it? Okay. Okay, go. Be home by morning. Okay, bye. So I love that. I really like her for that. Good job. Um so she took advantage of new educational opportunities available to women after the Civil War. So isn't it weird when you read about like it's all hap like there's a civil war happening, but all this other stuff. Yeah. Yep. People still like, living their lives. Yeah. People still living their lives. Like we talked about a woman like going to college in Germany in the 1840s. You could do that. You know, like there's a civil yep. war and she's like yep. writing poems. Now, granted, this is this is, you know, 20, 30 years after the Civil War, but it's just, you know, she was born at the beginning of it. Um. Anyways, 
So yep. she traveled to England because she got prize money. So she used that money and studied in Oxford in 18, from 1890 to 1891. Could you imagine winning a prize for writing a book and that paying for a year at Oxford? Wow. Right? That's exciting, that too. That's That's awesome. exciting by today's standard. So that'd I mean, be exciting. Right? Yeah. Um, and then she returned to Wellesley as an associate professor in 1891, and she earned her MA and was promoted to a full professor of English literature. So then she spent some time teaching English at Colorado College in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now, whilst she was there, she wrote the first draft of America the Beautiful. It was hastily jotted down in a notebook during the summer of 1893. Um, so this is a quote. She says, "Okay, one day, some of the other teachers and I decided to go on a trip to 14,000 foot Pikes Peak. We hired a prairie wagon. Near the top, we had to leave the wagon and go the rest of the way on mules. I was very tired, but when I saw the view, I felt great joy. All the wonder of America seemed displayed there with the sea-like expanse. Now, why do I love her? I'm going to keep why? talking, so I'll explain. Okay. Her inspiration was the fact that she had dealt with sexism because, duh, uh, she saw the destruction the Industrial Revolution brought to both America and to Britain, and she had seen poverty and misery firsthand, and she truly wished for equality. It was this dream, this feeling, this need for equal rights of an all-inclusive egalitarian society that inspired the poem that now like maybe triggers me a little when I see the wrong people singing the song, you know, <laughs> yes. right? <laughs> yes. So I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. That was written for every human in this country. Okay. So you bring in decency mm. back. <laughs> I'm bringing decency back. Okay. Yes. And empathy. You're welcome. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> you're that doing it was all by yourself. Just, I'm exhausted. Let's, let's be clear. Okay. okay. <laughs> but listen, someone's got to do it. And it's me, obviously. So. <laughs> yep. Here I am. Y'all can thank me with like dark chocolate. It's delicious. Okay. Yes. It's Christmas. Yes. So it's, it's Christmas and that's where my brain is at. <laughs> yep. Chocolate's always welcomed. Um, anytime. But I do prefer dark Right, just to be oh, clear, see, I like milk. I just... See, I don't know why we're friends. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, weird. I don't know because it's dark. Mm. I mean, I do like dark chocolate on people's. Okay, uh, okay, okay, right? Okay, it's like <laughs> calm down, girl. <laughs> Different flavors of dark chocolate. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say a little caramel, but I don't know what I mean by that. I was going to be like a little caramel, but then like, I don't know what I, I'm, I feel like I'm insinuating something. No, don't something, go there. We'll but get I don't canceled, know what okay? I'm insinuating. Okay. <laughs> you know how the internet is. How dare she say, what does caramel mean? That's like, I don't know. The internet. I literally don't know. Turns that's out, candy. That's yeah. sugar bigotry. I don't know. I don't know. What? <laughs> Somebody it's makes new. something up. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm going to well. <laughs> stay off the internets till till january y'all yeah exactly all right so uh she wrote it during the severe economic depression of 1893 did you know that that happened it did happen no i did not. um yeah uh and it was uh first appeared in print in the congregationalist which was a weekly journal for independence day in 1895 um it reached a wider audience when her revision of it uh there's a transcript on november 19th 1904 the final expanded version was written in 1913 when uh, a version appeared in her collection america the beautiful and other poems um <laughs> a reviewer right from mm -hmm. the new york times wrote this quote we intend no derogation to Miss Catherine Lee Bates when we say that she is a good minor poet. End quote. Thanks, good New York minor. Times. They just, they just had to put the minor in there. Well, it's because she has boobs. I mean, 
what are you gonna do right um so November 11th, 1918, a battalion known as the Yankee Division of the U.S. Army sang America the Beautiful upon hearing the announcement of the armistice. And that's the one that stuck. There were other songs, but that was one oh, that okay, stuck. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. near the end of the Spanish-American War, she worked as a war correspondent for the New York Times and strove to reduce widely circulating negative stereotypes about Spaniards. She contributed regularly to periodicals, sometimes under the pseudonym James Lincoln, uh, including the Atlantic Monthly, the Congregationalist, Boston Evening Transcript, Christian Century, Contemporary Verse, Lippincott's, and The Delineator. I really like the name The Delineator. Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, wow, she's been writing a lot, but she wrote on her pseudonym that sounded pseudonym. like a male. Right. Oh, right. Okay, smart. Because she's a smart cookie. Mm hmm. She wouldn't have been published. Um, I mean, in a, I mean, some would have maybe. Yeah, but but she wouldn't mostly have been able no. To rack she, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She couldn't get, um, especially not war cor- correspondences. A right? woman's lady brain can conceive of war. I mean, stay home and knit or something. Stop it. Yes. Um. I mean, honestly, stay home and make the babies. Thank you. So. Mm, <laughs> So she was a social activist and she had she focused in all of her writings, right, on the struggles of women, of workers, people of color, tenement residents, immigrants and poor people. She helped organize the Denison House, which was a woman, a college women's settlement house uh, with other women, friends and colleagues in 1892. OK, so I'm skipping around a little bit. Yeah. OK. okay. So in 1906. She and her brother, Arthur, bought a house together. They both signed the mortgage for a lot and house. So like a lot and a house. Right. You did both. Um, And it was said to be for the entire family and tenants. Now, one of her tenants was a woman named Catherine Corman. Now, she was also on the faculty of Wesley College. um, And they also traveled together on occasion. They don't know the nature of the relationship. And they're like discussing it. Okay. For many decades. It was, it was the subject of discussion, which is kind of weird because if everyone could just be who they are, we could like focus on like world peace as opposed to was mm-hmm. she lesbian or not? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like now you can just be like, I'm a lesbian moving yeah, right along, I- you know, and also back then, I mean, men were under the scrutiny too. Like if you got a certain age and you were not married, what's yeah. wrong with you? Yep. You know, but it's like marriage is hard. I mean, we see how it worked out for Catherine Dickens. So. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But also like, who cares? Maybe they were just well, friends. May- well, yeah. That was the yeah. height of... I mean, even now people want to be in your business, but now they use it for entertainment. But people always want to be in people's marriages. They yeah, that's true. Business. Yeah, it's true. Like it's what's bad. going on? It's like you never know what's going on. And stop being nosy. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. Um, so there are uh, diaries she wrote as an adult and letters that have survived that conclude she had had warm friendships with several female peers because you can be friends with women without having sex with them. Um, yes. And she also had intense involvement with with two men, Oscar Triggs, who she met at Oxford. And after that, this is a great name. Theophilus Huntington Root. Yes. Wow. Theophilus. Theophilus. I think I need to name a cat, my dog named Theophilus. Theophilus. I mean, there's a Mr. Mistopheles from. Oh, yeah, that's true. Theophilus and Mistopheles. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely cats. Yeah. I could start singing this song, but we can't afford yeah. it. Oh, uh, yeah. We won't do that. Mm. Um, <laughs> Theophilus. Theophilus. I like that. So she never married um, because she didn't want to lose uh, her her tenure track at Wellesley. And yeah, she would I was going to say, a husband would be like, you need to stay home and have babies now. Exactly. Or stay home and, and, and cook and... And or order the the servants around. It's, and, this, you, you yeah, could, that's it. Would have been like that's a nice. Oh dear, you were a professor. <laughs> that's nice. 
That's lovely, darling. That's lovely. Oh, she's very smart. She will teach her young children well until yes. we send them off to boarding school for their actual education. But, you know, exactly. Um, but remember, she grew up with a mom and a grandmother that they were alone and relatively independent because the husband had died. But she saw yeah. that and was like, I would like that. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I could do what she, I want to do. <laughs> she was apparently very torn up when... Uh, Theophilus, great name, uh, ended, the, the relationship with him ended, uh, and she had a period of suicidal depression after that. But Aww. she also destroyed most of the letters that um, Catherine Coleman and her wrote to each other. So mm. you like, oh no, what was it? Like maybe she's bisexual. I don't, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Maybe you know. Who I mean, knows? Maybe they're falling yeah. out. And she was pissed. And oh. she and she being a writer know that people are nosy. So destroy the evidence if you don't want people to know stuff. <laughs> I mean, right? Exactly. Like yeah. Um. It just like I, I I don't know I don't like I mean she there also there were laws against homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, she didn't exactly. Fuck it exactly. up. Because even yep. if it wasn't, even if that wasn't, people would read into it and then they'd like burn you yep. at the fucking stake. So like, yep. fuck that, yep. you know. And she was a, you know, she was a professor. So you want to keep your, maintain your re- reputation too. Um, so. She does say about uh, Coleman, there's a one letter survived that said, well, like a few that said to, to, the other Catherine, quote, you are always in my heart and in my longings. It was a living away from you that made at first the prospect of leaving Wellesley so heartachy. And it seemed least of all possible when I had just found the long desire way to your dearest heart. Um, yeah, I think they, you know, they had a relationship, but like good on her to like yeah. live her life make really deep human connections. A lot of marriages are not deep human connections. They're deals. I mean, my other Charles, yeah. my other Catherine. Yeah. Like they had one and then he decided, nope, sorry, psych. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah, it's not, it, it, the, I love, as she lived, like talk about living authentically. Um, yeah. She also, wrote and spoke extensively about the need for social reform and was an advocate for global peace movement that emerged after World War One. So she was mm. actively involved in establishing the League of Nations. She was pissed at Wilson for not supporting the League of Nations. There's so many reasons to be pissed at Wilson, but that's a good one too. Yeah, I have better, that's a good I've, one too. I have better ones, but that's a good one. Yeah. Um, she fought against isolationism um, and she left the Republican Party because she will f- she felt like they were turning the wrong way. Mm. You want to talk about that or no? We'll just like let that sit. No, we yeah we'll, we'll let, let that. It's yeah. the holidays. Let's it's the just holidays. Cheer, cheer joy. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Okay. <laughs> um. So she retired from Wellesley in 1925 at the age of 66. In retirement, she continued to write and publish poetry, and she was in great demand as a writer and a speaker. She died in Wellesley, Massachusetts on March 28, 1929, while listening to a friend read poetry to her. She is buried in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Well, she died pretty young. She She's died what, young. She 70? died too young. Oh, yeah, I mean, math. but she died yeah. just in time before the crash, right? Or maybe it was that year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Um, wow. So I just want to end saying in a in 2017 biography of her, Melinda M. Ponder describes her as an independent minded social activist who set an example for women's intellectualism and independence in the late 1800s. Okay. Wow. I love her. That is fantastic. I love, love, love the tale of two Catherines. The tale of two Catherines. Also yeah. Mrs. Claus. I call her Mrs. <laughs> yes. Claus because she's my kind of Mrs. Claus. Like, mm-hmm. yes, Mrs. Claus. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it was. I'm. That's what I'm going to teach the that's, young kitties. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. It, that's, yeah. She organized that's the whole happens. situation. Everyone had a job yep. to do. Husband, go. Give gifts, elves make gifts. Cool, cool. You got cookies, you got milk. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. 
Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. That was beautiful. It's, yeah, that's happy holidays. Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note. Yes. (laughs) Let's write. You're so silly. I love it. That's why we're friends. Uh, (laughs) On that note, that wraps up uh, the latest episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things, but also copy the link for our podcast and send it to your friends. Don't tell them about it. Just Mm -mm. copy the link and send Send it it. to them. You can also um, uh, support the show on Patreon.com. Go to Patreon.com slash Notorious Women. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Notorious Women. Tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Spread the good cheer this holiday season. Uh, Hopefully you learned something today. It's a free gift to give your friends. Yeah. I like how you think. I like how you think. I have a gift for you. Now, Miriam. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I have a gift for you. Mm -hmm. And then paste the link. Yes. Here is the gift. done. The gift of joy. The gift of Lavetta and Miriam. Oh, wow. Exactly. Narcissistic now, how anyone? Else can they support? Yeah. <laughs> they you can also so come to our Instagram. Please follow us, like us. Um, you can DM us there. It is Notorious Women Podcast. Listen, I've posted some fun things. My favorite, which is Sandra Lee's Hanukkah cake. You guys, it's so funny. Because later I will post when she makes her Kwanzaa cake. Yes. She really understands oh us. She understands us so well. Anyways, listen, I, you know, someone else probably wrote it for her. I feel a little bad. She's probably a nice person. <laughs> but my God, yes. please do not put wire in a cake. Anyways, um, so that's Notorious Women Pod. Yeah, no, Lavetta hasn't seen it yet. You should go on our web, <laughs> on our Instagram. Yes. Also, TikTok, Notorious Women Podcast. Um, DM us, please, at Instagram. Or email us at NotoriousWMPod at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. You can listen to episodes on our YouTube channel uh, if that's easier for you. And that that is that is Notorious Women Podcast on the YouTube channel. We took all the Notorious Women Podcast title and kept it for ourselves. Yes, 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 yes. That is right. Thank you guys for joining us as always. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.